want to start today a series of messages for the next three weeks simply called, Are You an Influencer? Are you an influencer? I know some people, their life goal is to be a social media influencer. Uh, I'm not really interested in whether you're a social media influencer or not, but the fact is every single one of us are called to be influencers. Now you think about this. How many of you have a pair of shoes on that you saw somebody else wearing, you thought it looked good, and you bought it because you saw it on somebody else? Let me see. Okay, have a, a, a cl your clothes, a shirt, a jacket, something. You saw it on somebody else, you liked it, so you bought it. You were influenced by somebody else, right? Hairstyles. How many times have you ever gone to your hairstylist, taken a picture of somebody and said, I want hair to look like this? And your hairstylist said, yeah, you're bald. That won't work. Sorry. <clears throat> Remember when Justin Bieber hairstyles were everywhere? Everybody had the little swoop thing. It was just, or, or if you go back a couple of decades, everybody had the Jennifer Aniston hairstyle. Yeah, because we're influenced by others. We're influenced by celebrities. We're influenced by people who have some type of notoriety. Well, this power of influence, whether we are influencing or we are being influenced, uh, by our surroundings is, is actually what Jesus has called us to do as Christians. He's called us to live our lives in such a transformed way that people around us are influenced by what has happened to us. We're called to do that. We're called to be influencers. In Proverbs 13, 20, it says, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools suffers harm. It's interesting, as you think about that verse, that the difference between a life of wisdom and blessing and foolishness and harm is all by who you are influenced by, who, you're in, who you walk with, because we're either attracting people to the God who is transforming us, or we're pushing people away from the God who loves them. And one of the things that people who are not Christians are thinking about when they encounter Christians is they're asking themselves, do I want to be like you? Do I want to be like you? So our walk with God is either attracting people to Christ or is pushing people away from Christ. And that's what the book of Titus is all about. So I'm going to take the next three weeks. So I encourage you to bring your Bibles, just read ahead. And we're just going to dig into this. And the, the, the book of Titus, it's about this young man by the name of Titus, who is a, a, a Greek man, who is a disciple of Paul. He comes to know faith in Jesus Christ through Paul. His name's mentioned about 12 times in the Bible, either in conjunction in working in ministry with Paul or being sent to one of the churches uh, that Paul had planted. So he's with Paul. Paul loves him. Paul cares for him. They, they end up going and ministering on this island called Crete, Crete. Crete was a wild place. There was a lot of uh, pagan worship there because they believed that this was the birthplace of a lot of the Greek gods. And according to scholars, Cretans were some of the wildest in the Roman Empire, had the worst reputations of anybody in the ancient world, the party animals of the ancient world. And this is the place that Paul sends Titus and tells him to go there and create order and to help these formerly wild men and women to be transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's the same thing that God wants us to do. The same goal that Paul and Titus had in hopes of going to Crete and having an impact upon their lives. That's what God wants to do with us. So we're going to see how they went about making this impact. And hopefully it becomes a model for us. Titus chapter one, verse number one it says, Paul, a servant of God. Some versions, he says, bond servant, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ 
to further the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness in the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time, which now at his appointed season, he has brought to light through the preaching entrusted to me by the command of God, our savior, to Titus, my son, in our common faith, grace and peace from God, the father and Christ Jesus, our savior. I just want to make three simple points. Number one, you have influence through your consistent example. Through your consistent example, you have influence. I want you to think just for a moment about the things that you consistently do. Not the things that you wish you would do, the things that you know you should do, but, or even the things you tell people to do. But I'm asking, what are the things that you consistently do on a daily basis? Some of you, I know you, you eat certain foods on a daily basis. You watch certain shows at a certain time on a daily basis. Or maybe you uh, go walking at a certain time every single day. Or maybe you go to the gym and work out. Or you uh, come to church every week. Or you read your Bible. Or you pray. Every single, <coughs> excuse me, every single one of us do something on a consistent daily basis that impacts people around us. Growing up, I did something on a daily basis that I know impacted my kids, and then I know in turn impacted their kids. I wish it was real spiritual, but it's not. But here recently, my daughter sent a picture of her kids eating a spoonful of peanut butter, and the caption was just simply, just like pops. Why? Because I ate a spoonful of peanut butter every single night before I go to bed, and my kids did it, and their kids did it. The fact is, when we do something repeatedly, when we do something often enough, it has an impact on other people. Here's the point. It's not what we say that has a lasting impact. It's what we do. Not what you say. It's what we do. And Paul is showing us here in these opening verses. He doesn't really open up the, the chapter or chapter one in a way that most would talking about his credits and talking about his accomplishments. What he does is he talks about himself as a bond servant himself as a servant of God. The Greek word is doulos, which literally re relates back to a story in Exodus 21. Whenever it says, when you buy a Hebrew slave, he will serve six years. Seventh year, he goes free for nothing. If he came in single, he leaves single. If he came in married, he leaves with his wife. If the master gives him a wife, she gave him sons and daughters. The wife and children stay with the master. He leaves by himself. But suppose the slave should say, I love my master, my wife, my children. I don't want my freedom. Then his master is to bring him before God to a door doorpost and pierce his ear with an awl, a sign that he is a slave for life. So here's how it worked. If you owed somebody so much money that you were unable to repay them, they didn't have things such as bankruptcy back then, then you would actually become a slave, a servant of that master and work off what you owe them for the next six years. In the seventh year, you could go free. Now, if during those six years that you were serving and paying off your debt, if you were treated so well that you just decided, hey, I kind of like working for this guy. I think I'll just stay. Then what you would do is you would go to the city gate, the city hall, and you would pierce your ear in order to say, I am a slave for life. Now, Jesus said, if you want to be great, then you must become a servant, right? 
In fact, Matthew 20, 26, whoever desires to be great among you, let him be your servant. Whoever desires to be first, let him be your slave. Just as the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. If you want to be great, then you need to be able to embrace the title of a servant. Everybody wants greatness. Not everybody wants servanthood. I remember when I was just uh, newly called into the ministry. I was uh, my first year of college. My, I was still at my same church that my father had pastored, but he was now in the district office. And so I had a new pastor. His name was Bill Brummett. And I was serving there. We weren't big enough to have a full-time youth pastor. So all of our youth leaders were just volunteer youth leaders. And we were without a leader at that time. And I was really wanting to be the youth leader, but I didn't want to ask for it. I wanted my gifts to make room for me. I wanted just to be asked. So I was just serving, doing everything I could. One day, my pastor called me into the office and he said, I've got something I wanna ask you. And I just knew this was it, this was it. He's gonna see my burden, he's gonna see my passion, he's gonna see my gift. He's gonna ask me to be the youth leader of this group. And uh, I came in and he said, I've got something to ask you. I wanna I want know if there's something you'll do for me. I said, yes, sir, whatever it is, I'll do it. He said, really? I said, yes, sir. I just knew he was getting ready to ask me to be youth leader. Only problem was, he said, I have a bus and we need somebody to drive the bus. Will you drive the bus and we have a route where we can pick up these little kids at this apartment complex over here and then the route goes around and picks up some elderly ladies over here on this side of town. Would you drive the bus? And I remember thinking, kids and elderly ladies. I thought, Lord, you really missed it. Uh, I was wanting to be the youth leader, but I'd already committed. I said, yes, I'll do whatever it is you asked me to do. So I drove the bus and I drove the bus until finally my pastor called me in months later and said, Hey, would you, have you ever considered being our youth leader? Thought you'd never ask, you know, the fact is he was just wanting to see if I would be faithful. He was wanting to see if I had what it took to be faithful. And Paul was willing to be a servant for a particular purpose. What was the purpose? Well, in Titus 1, verse number one, it says this. Paul, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to further the faith of God's elect. That's why Paul was serving, so that he could help further the faith. In other words, help people grow up in the Lord. Help people learn to mature in the Lord. Paul was called to do that, and every single one of us are called to do the same thing, to help people grow in their faith. So this is what I want to encourage you to do. If you're here at Freedom Church and you've never chosen to serve anywhere, I challenge you to serve because I do not believe that you can grow spiritually, that you can mature spiritually without serving. You want to be great? Jesus said you got to serve. So how can we achieve greatness in our life, growth in our life, if we're not willing to do what Jesus said? So I would challenge you to take the connection card out of the seat back in front of you, fill it out and say, hey, I'm willing to serve. What will happen is this week, one of our pastors will call you and we will find out where you're best fit to serve. And then after about 30 days, they'll call you again to make sure you're serving where you want to serve. If it's a right fit, because listen, I don't want you serving somewhere where you're not happy. I don't want you serving somewhere where you're not gifted because our goal is not to fill spots. Our goal is to grow the body. And if we grow the body and we grow each and every one of us, then we become a stronger church. So at the end of the service, you'll have an opportunity to put that connection card into the bucket. You can do that. All right.
Go to verse number five. In Titus 1, verse number five, it says, the reason I left you in Crete, Paul's telling Titus, was that you might put in order what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. Now, he begins to give 16 different characteristics of an elder. And for those that would say, well, I'm not an elder. I don't need to listen to this. It's a leadership characteristic list. And every one of us are leaders in some way or another. We all have influence on other people. So notice this. He says an elder, verse number six, must be blameless, faithful to his wife, man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. Since an overseer manages God's household, he must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. Rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. All right, number two, you have influence through your proven character. You have influence through your proven character. What Paul lays out here, 16 characteristics of the leaders in the church. And if you'll notice a couple things, none of them have to do with the giftedness of the leader. They all have to do with the character of the leader. Meaning your influence isn't dependent upon what kind of gift you have. Your influence is dependent upon your character. What kind of person are you? Not what you can do, but who you are. Who you are has the impact on people's lives. You see, in your career, you have uh, influence on people, not because of the ideas that you have, but you have influence on people because the ideas have been put into practice and now you have habits, you have actions that people can see. In fact, our greatest influence as parents is upon our children. And when our words and our actions don't line up, our actions will always have more weight than our words. Can I say that again? When it comes to parenting, when your words and your actions don't line up, your actions will always carry more weight than your words. Let me ask you a question. How many of you parents in this room today or watching this service right now online, you have rules in your house, certain rules, whether it's a couple or whether it's a whole lot, whether they're good or whether they're bad. We have rules. Most of us have rules. What are those rules? They can be turn the light off when you leave the room, close the door when you come in or go out. It could be certain rules about the thermostat. It could be rules about leaving your shoes. Don't leave shoes in the living room. It could be rules. Uh, uh, don't drink straight out of the milk jug from the refrigerator. Okay. Don't, don't drink straight out of the orange juice bottle. Don't do that. We all have these certain, don't eat on the couch in the living room or some, you know, he's like, you can eat. It's a free for all eat anywhere you want. But the fact is we all have different rules. Well, parents all know what happens when we break our own rules. Your kids never let you forget it. Oh, oh, you left your shoes out. Caught you drinking out of the milk jug. They never let you forget it. Why? Because the truth is our actions carry more weight than our words. So you want to have influence on people. Quit worrying about what kind of gifts you have and what kind of position you have. Your character, who you are, 
and your actions have more weight than anything else. So everything in this list is all geared towards building influence and credibility through proven character. So when Paul says you're to not be given to drunkenness or to be sober-minded, what he was saying is you shouldn't be impulsive because when's the last time anybody here went out to look for somebody to follow who was impulsive, who was reckless, who was lacking self-control? Nobody. Why? We want somebody who's got it together if we're going to follow them. When Paul said leaders must not be prone to violence or the old King James says, uh, not a striker. What was he saying? He's talking about a person that's always looking for a fight. Who wants to follow somebody who's all, who always is looking for a fight? They always cause trouble. They always cause division. Nobody wants to follow that person. So all these character issues are to make you a better influence upon the world around you. In fact, Hebrews 13, seven says this, remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life. Notice that. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. So whoever's influencing you, here's what you need to ask. You need to ask yourself the question, what's the outcome of their way of life? How is this working out for them? How is their faith working out for them? Because people who don't know God are looking at our lives and they're asking themselves, does Jesus really make a difference? And the truth is, if they look at you and you're just as negative as they are, if you're just as frustrating all the time as they are, if you're upset all the time as they are, if you're just as hopeless as they are, they're going to say, well, what good is Jesus? They need to be able to see something different in every single one of us. And that's why God wants to have a, a, a create a transformed life in us so that people will look at our transformed life and be magnetic. Mag, <laughs> magnetically drawn to it. All right, last portion of this chapter. We'll read it and then wrap up. Worship team, come back. Verse number 10 says, there are many rebellious people full of meaningless talk and deception, especially those of the circumcision group. They must be silenced because they're disrupting whole households by teaching things they ought not to teach. And that for the sake of dishonest gain. One of Crete's own prophets has said, Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, lazy gluttons. This saying is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply so that they will be sound in the faith and will pay no attention. He was telling Titus to go in there and take a stand. We'll pay no attention to the Jewish myths and to the merely human commands of those who reject the truth. To the pure, all things are pure, but to those who are corrupted and do not believe, nothing is pure. In fact, both their minds and consciences are corrupted. They claim to know God, but by their actions, they deny him. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for doing anything good. Number three, here's the third way you make influence in people's lives. You have influence through taking a stand. Through taking a stand. There was a huge problem in the church in this culture of Crete uh, at large that, that we all can relate to. Because these people, they were all over the place. Paul outlined several different strands of teaching and philosophies that people were holding onto that were detrimental to their spiritual development. They had mixed Christianity with their cultural ideas. They'd kind of confused the two. They'd mixed their Jewish backgrounds with the message of Jesus. They tried to force people to become Jewish before they became Christians. So it was a complete mess. So what did Paul tell Titus to do? Go in there, correct them, set it in order, preach the truth, preach the word of God. Here's the challenge that we have in our era today. Everybody has a truth of their own. 
This is my truth. That's your truth. When we all know there's only the truth, right? You can call it your truth. I can call it my truth, but there's only the truth. And that's what we get from the word of God. So we have people deciding their own truth. This is good for me. This is, you know, you're fine. That's for you, but this is my truth. While we were on this hike to Mount Kilimanjaro, we ran into a man by the name of Tom. He was from the UK. And we got to talking to him about his faith in Christ or his faith in God. And it was real clear. He said, well, do you believe in creation? I said, sure. He said, well, let's go back to creation. In the Garden of Eden, God told Adam if they obey, they will live. If they disobey, they die. He said, that's no choice. I said, well, actually, it's two choices. It's a choice to obey and live or to disobey and die. Two choices. He says, no, that's no choice. If one of the choices results in punishment, that's no choice. I said, yeah, it's just a bad choice. He says, no, 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 no. I believe in heaven, but I don't believe in hell. I don't believe that there's a punishment. That's no good. And what I realized is Tom wanted to have choices, but he wanted to have control over the consequences of choices. He didn't want there to be a choice that had a negative consequence. And the fact is we don't get that choice. There's a choice, obey and live, disobey and die. It's real clear. But we live in America today where everybody has their own truth. They want to decide for themselves what is right, what is wrong. And the fact is we have to go back to the word of God for everything. We live in an America where half of America believes that you should be able to take the life of an unborn child. Many believe even up to birth where others saying, no, we're going to protect the life of the unborn child, regardless of whether it's an inconvenience in your life or not. We're going to protect the unborn life. We have a uh, half of the world that seems to, or half of America that seems to believe that we can mutilate children and sex reassignment surgeries, or you can uh, uh, allow doctors and schools and other organizations to have uh, control over gender confusion rather than the parents to guide their children into the truth of God's word. We live in a world that would rather hear about a message about how it's God's will for everything to go great. You'll always get uh, green lights and front row parking spots at the mall every single day. And the fact is, that's just not reality because the world that we live in today has bought into this idea of fairness, that everything should be fair. And life's not fair. In fact, the truth is, Jesus didn't die for you to make life fair. He unfairly forgave you of your sins. He unfairly clothed you with his righteousness. He unfairly showered you with his grace. Jesus unfairly laid his life down on the cross to die for your sins and for mine. One of the most powerful verses in the scriptures in Daniel chapter three, it's when these three Jewish young men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they answered to King Nebuchadnezzar. They said, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this is the case, our, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he'll deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, everybody say that. But if not, say it one more time. But if not, he says, let it be known to you, king. We won't serve your gods or we're not gonna worship your golden image that you've set up. See, this kind of faith is unshakable. This kind of faith says, regardless of what I face, I'm not going to bow down. I'm going to continue to stand for Jesus no matter what. God's able to deliver me, but if not, I'm still going to serve him. God's able to heal me, but if not, I'm still going to serve him. 
God's able to provide, but if not, I'm still going to serve him. This is unshakable faith. It's not wavering. It's not based upon my truth. Your truth is just based upon the truth. 